Good morning. How many of you guys are a little jealous of that, that you didn't go to that? Wasn't that awesome? I know that something like that takes a lot of work. And so, man, I just want to thank the kids team and everybody who helped out around that. It's so awesome. Uh, my little nephew was up there. So to see him smile, it's like, okay, you guys did your job. Good job. <laughs> Okay, but honestly, when you think of that reality, you think of all the other teams here at Central, right? We got people who are setting up before you guys get here. We got a production team, a worship team. We got so many different teams. And just to think of that reality is like, man, we got a squad here. Okay, everyone say squad. Okay, that worked a little bit better on the left side. How about you guys? Squad. Okay, we're awake. We're awake. You guys look pretty good for not getting some sleep. Unless, actually, I don't really know if this is, maybe this is just how you always look. Yeah. Jo Jolie, you got my back. That's, she's squad goals. If you want to know squad goals, go talk to Jolie. But honestly, we're talking about squad goals and kind of just this mindset. I'm just excited to share with you guys what is a little on my heart and kind of what I'm feeling. Um, you know, we all have different kinds of teams, right? How many of you guys work here? You got a job. That's a team, right? How many of you guys play sports? That's a squad. Um, how many of you guys have a family? That's a squad, right? We all have squads in our own way, shape, or form. And how many of you guys know difference of opinions, difference of ideas, difference of ways of doing things in the midst of all that? What happens, man? We get some conflict, right? We, we experience that. How many of you guys have never experienced conflict? Not one hand up. This is the one time that worked, you know? Um, but there's always some sort of conflict. And so when conflict is off, that means the team dynamic is a little off, you know? We're going to go right into it. So if you guys just buckle up, get on this ride. It's going to be an interesting and a fun one. I really think this one's going to be awesome because it's from God, okay? How much... <laughs> So we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about this, but when you think of team dynamics kind of being off and conflict in itself, a lot of times we kind of want to avoid it. Maybe you're going to work and you're like, I just need to avoid this person. So you take a different route. You know, you're like, okay, they're not here. Thank you. Thank you, God. My prayer worked, right? My prayer worked. So we go a different route or, or maybe we just avoid the person altogether. We're like, I don't need them in my life, Right. They don't know me. They don't know what I do. They don't know where I grew up. And then you just, you're just like avoiding that person in general. But I want to change kind of the mindset of conflict and confrontation uh, kind of in this next few moments. And I want to change that to kind of, kind of defining it as something different. But we're, we're going to take a look at it in this way, okay? So confrontation today is love coming alongside another with the goal of seeing them restored or the issue restored. So there's a purpose. There is a goal in conflict. So when we're talking about squad goals today, the goal is to figure that out. And so we've been reading through the book of Philippians over the last few weeks, months, and, and we're going to continue on that pattern. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through Philippians 4. I'm just going to read through the whole thing, uh, 1 through 8, and then we're going to dive a little bit into it. And so you guys can follow along. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yadai and I plead with the Syntyche to be of the same mind as the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So essentially what we kind of are understanding in, in this kind of verse is that there's two women and they're in conflict. We don't know exactly what's going on, but we know that there's some severity to it. Because a guy's sitting in a prison cell writing a letter to a church saying, hey, we got to figure this out. And so you got to think if he heard about this from all the way wherever he was, um, then there's got to be some reason that he's so curious about what's going on. So he writes this letter to encourage his people. And so um, we know that they're in conflict, but Paul does something really interesting. He addresses it and we're going to we're going to look at what he does and how he approaches this. And so when we are in the middle of conflict or perhaps conflict is on its way or the inevitable, right? We, we're going to experience some sort of confrontation in our lives. How many of you guys would say that maybe you're in the middle of that right now? Probably someone, right? How many of you guys would say it's probably coming because my family's crazy? Just kidding. <laughs> and it's usually my fault. So let's just point that one out, okay? Um, but when you think of that kind of thing, we're going we're gonna to start looking and diving into kind of how we react and how we respond to that. And so if you're taking notes, this is kind of about where it starts. And so uh, in 2015, the Golden State Warriors, Dub Nation, Chef Curry, that squad, uh, coined this phrase going into, I don't even know if they coined it, but they used this phrase going into the playoffs of strength in numbers. How many of you guys remember that? So strength in numbers, essentially what it meant is this, it's their, it's their overall philosophy as a team of inclusion for the greater good, for their ultimate goal. So inclusion meaning that, man, the fans, they play a part of the team. The, the trainers, they're a part of the team. The family members, they're a part of the team. Every single person who claims Dub Nation is a part of the team, and together they are stronger. And here at Central, man, we have a similar mindset. We have a similar feeling about you guys on our teams, you, you guys who, who lead the church, and maybe you're not in, in serving right now, but when you leave the church, you're still a part of the squad. You're taking the message, and you're running with it, and we know that. And so what we, we, we believe here is that life is done better in community. And so one of the first things that Paul's kind of doing in the midst of this is it's you may not see it at first, but you will, is that he's kind of saying, man, the same thing that Central says is that we are better together. We're a team that does life together. Life is done better together is how we say it. And so we as a church have just been kind of going after that mindset. And I get to do life with the youth um, here at Central. We get to, to learn together. I get to pour into students, and, and they pour into me and share things that I never learned about God. But um, the reality is, is we just started a series uh, called Fellowship. And it basically is off the premise of I ask students like, hey, if you guys wanted to learn about something, or if you had a prayer request about anything, what would those things be? And a lot of them were framed around friendship, family, partnership, relationship, community. And so we started diving deep into what fellowship looks like. And so I asked a question last week um, when we were doing our small groups. I said, hey, what do you guys think makes a good quality of a team? Like when you think of a good team, what comes to mind? And the first thing that they said, it, it kind of shocked me and it was different. And I didn't expect it because I expected something like, oh, like we get hot dogs after practice, you know, like that's a good team, like food. 
But no, the students are actually awesome. And so the first thing that they said was knowing the people on your team. And it wasn't just this thing of like, hey, like, I know their name. I know where they go to school. It was like, we know their value. We know what good they bring to the team. We know what makes them mad. We know what makes them angry. We know what things bring them joy. And it was really knowing the team. And I love what Paul does in this verse. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And so Paul's not just speaking to someone he's, he's willing to throw out of his life, right? You ever think like when you're in the middle of conflict, you're like, I don't need them. I never needed them. I used to walk by myself. I used my two feet to walk. I don't need them in my life. They produce no value to me. That's kind of how we respond, right? But Paul's not saying that. He's not willing to be mad at these people. He's not just saying, hey, get out of here. What he is doing is he's saying, hey, you are my brothers and sisters. He, he, he says, you guys are my community, my people that I love and long for. You see in that verse, he says, he says, I love and long for you. When you think of that reality, that's not just someone you're so quick to get out of your life, right? Could you imagine being a boss and, and what happens is one day when you come to work and you got in a conflict and you guys both just get fired because he's like, I don't want to deal with this conflict. Like, that's why they have conflict management, right? Um, but Paul, he's not like waking up one morning and saying, man, I can't wait to solve today's conflicts. I can't wait to write a letter to the church and let them know what I have to say. No, he's dealing with people he loves. And no one wants to kind of be critiqued by someone that they're not loved and cared for, right? We get offended in the midst of when someone challenges us when they don't know us. He goes on and he says, my joy and my crown. And so he's, in state, he's stating the importance that they play into his life. When you think of that reality, yes, there was a problem to be addressed. Yes, there was something going on. But he wanted these people to know that they had been a great source of joy to him. He uses this word crown, which in the Greek is Stephanos. And Stephanos means victor's crown. It's, the, it's, the, it's a valuable prize that was won in the Olympic Games. You've probably seen it. You've seen it in your history books or you've seen it at some point. But what he's saying, he's like, man, you guys are my prize. People that I love, people that I want to do life with. He's stating value. He's not just coming in, just saying, hey, you know what? You did wrong. He's not pointing fingers. That's not who he is. And so he's stating their value. And the second thing that the students kind of talked into, aside from knowing who they are, was they said this, and this was my favorite. It was that people you want to go to battle with, people you want to do life with. When you think of that reality, man, that's, that's, a, that's a crazy statement, right? No one wants to be on a team that you don't want to be on the team with that person. You don't want to dread them. You don't want to, to be like, oh, I got to go hang out with Johnny again. I'll... I hope Felicia doesn't show up today. We're better without her. That's not how we operate, right? That's not fun. There's no joy in that. And you don't have joy unless you want to do life with them. And so really what Paul is stating in this moment and what, what the students are saying in this moment is really the ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal in this stage of conflict is unity. So the goal is unity. And I know what you're thinking, Michael, you just gave us your entire sermon in eight minutes. We can go. You just gave us the ultimate goal. Now that is true, but how many of you guys know how to get there? Maybe not, maybe you do, but that's what we're gonna dive into pretty deep, okay? We're gonna dive into what this looks like and how we as a crew, as a squad, can really achieve that. And so the verse, it says, I plead with you, die, and I plead with Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women 
since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose name are in the book of life. He talks about helping this woman that he contended and done life with, people that he chose, people he wanted to do life with. You see, he pleads because his joy is in them, his joy, and he wants to do anything for them. Because when we have conflict, we don't have unity. And so if the goal is unity and we have conflict, then we probably have some sort of division. And so unity is really important throughout all of Scripture, throughout the entire Bible. You can find it on almost anywhere, right? Or we can look at where we've just been and see it in the last three chapters of Philippians. And so unity in Philippians is this. In, in 1.5, it talks about partnership. In, in 1.12 through 18, it talks about unity in preaching. 127, stand firm in one spirit. Two, one through 11, thinking of the same way, the same spirit, one love, one purpose. And then fellow citizens. And so there's so much unity within these in different ways, shapes, and forms. And so if it's actually in there, then we got to take it as a way of importance, right? Something that's important to us. And the Bible actually defines unity as a beautiful thing. In Psalms 133, it says, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Now, if you guys were to head over to Tim and Tiffany's house and you knocked on their front door and Tim yelled, Tiffany, bring it out. And she brings over something. And Tim gets the extra version of olive oil and starts pouring it on your head. You'd probably think that was a weird thing, right? Unless that's what you're into. Unless that's what you, what you are all about. But that'd probably be kind of an awkward thing to happen. But kind of in the ancient Middle East, it was common to anoint someone's head with oil. And sometimes they did it as a greeting when entering their homes. And this was done essentially to refresh the person receiving the oil and to give a pleasant fragrance to them from the oil itself. And in the same way among God's people, unity refreshes and makes a pleasant atmosphere for all. In that same kind of way, when there's unity, we feel peace. When there's unity, we're excited. When there's unity, we're ready to go to, to battle with our team. When there's unity, you know that something's different. You could probably think about teams that you've loved throughout your life. Shout out Raiders, okay? Now, I know we don't, I know we, we ain't winning very much often as of lately since my brother was born, um, but <laughs> just kidding. Um, but seriously, at the same time, but there's nothing like heading to the stadium when they were in Oakland, showing up for a tailgate, people offering you some of their steak, walking into the stadium, everyone yelling Raiders, the stadium going off. You feel so united with your squad. There's nothing. You feel like you can go against anyone. And regardless of the outcome, you still feel pretty good about yourself. You know, you're like, yeah, that's my fam. Squad up. And that's what that looks like, right? And so if unity refreshes and makes a pleasant atmosphere, and if the goal is unity, what does unity look like? Unity to me is family. And family is this, regardless of opinion, Regardless of character, regardless of, of what you think is right and wrong, regardless of, of, of how we can achieve a goal, whether it's the right way or the wrong way, regardless of it here, man, we are our family, one church, one body, one group of people going after the same thing. 
And you may have heard this probably three times before I even came up here. But here at Central, we exist. Everyone say it with me. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. That's the whole thing, right? That's why we're a church. That's why we're a family. That's why we are people doing life together. And so regardless if, if, if we think that we should play this song or, or if we should do that or, or whatever it might be, man, our ultimate goal is to bring people closer to Jesus. And that's where we find our rest. That's where we find our comfort. Because let's be honest, we all have opinions, right? And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying mine's right. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, we are a family going after that call. And so I've learned about family in my own life. Kind of what family looks like to me, um, I've learned from my own family. And the reality of that is that me and my family are all very different people. When you look at our jobs in general, my brother, he works in management. My sister's in education. My mom works in human resources, and my dad was in law enforcement. And I'm the youth pastor missionary kid. We're all very different, right? It's not like me and my brother were saying, oh, we're following in, in my dad's footsteps, and we're going to go become officers. We're very different people. And so when I kind of decided that I was going to go into the missions field, I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to tell my family. Um, it's kind of crazy, right? Because when you're in missions, you're saying no to a lot of things. You're saying no to family dinners. You're saying no to Thanksgiving. You're saying no to a salary. You're saying no to health insurance. You're saying no to your entire family. And you're going off and, and hoping that people will come to know Jesus. And so I remember like, okay, the first person I got to tell is my mom because she could probably help me figure this out, okay? And so my mom goes for walks, and I always say no to go on those walks. Uh, just kind of lazy, just not a thing, doesn't, doesn't bring me joy, but my mom comes up to me, and she's like, hey, do you wanna go for a walk today? And I was like, sure. And guess what, guys, it was raining that day. There was a little <laughs> sprinkle. And so mom knew there was something up, right? And so we're walking and I was like, hey, mom, um, I, I feel like I'm supposed to do this thing. I feel like God's called me here. And I know it sounds crazy, but I just really know I have to do this. And so she stops in the middle of our walk and she says, yes, I prayed that something like this would happen for you. How do we tell your dad? <laughs> and I go, that is a good question. I'm going to leave that one up to you. Okay. And so a couple days go by and I'm in my room and I hear Michael. And how many of you know that's never a good sign? <laughs> From the living room. And so I'm like, oh gosh, you're either gonna have me do something or there's something that I already did and I'm in trouble. And so I go into the living room and I sit there. He's like, have a seat. He said, your mom told me what you wanna do. And I just want you to know that if it doesn't go the way that you thought or nothing works out the way you seemed it would be, don't be afraid to come back home. And I was like, whoa, this was awesome. And so I didn't want to really tell my brother and sister. I don't know why. For some reason, I just kind of was like, they don't really care to hear it. They know this is things that I do. And so my mom goes, Arthur, Priscilla, come here in the kitchen. And she goes, tell your brother and sister what you're going to go do. And I was like, great, great intro. Uh, mom, you can intro me for every sermon I do from here on out. Hey, guys, come listen to him. He's got something to tell you. <laughs> And so I start telling my brother and sister, and they're just hearing me out. And my brother walks into his room, and he comes back, and he hands me his credit card. He says, if you're ever in an emergency, use this. If you, if you once a month, like, go get groceries, go, go fill up your tank, do what you got to do. And my sister, a couple days later, she goes, hey, do you want to go with me to the mall? I'm like, sure. So we're driving to the mall, and she's like, hey, 
I'm a teacher. I don't get paid a ton. But you're going to be in Huntington. You're going to be traveling all over the place. Let's go get you some new clothes. You're going to need some new stuff. And in their own little way, their own way, they all looked at me and said, hey, regardless of if it's different, regardless if, if, if what you choose is different, regardless if, if, if it's not going to bring you a salary, regardless of what it is, we are for you. It didn't look the same as the things that they chose. It didn't look like the way that they've done life. It didn't look like how they thought maybe that I would have become. But what they did is they said, hey, we got your back. And that's family, regardless of opinion, regardless of character, regardless of how we think or process, we are better together. And so you might be wondering, how do we accomplish the goal? You've said all these great things. We know that it's family. We know what the goal is. We know that it's unity. Well, here's the answer. It's a simple one. And Paul kind of does it for us. We check ourselves. And so the way that we check ourselves is basically saying, man, we got to check our motives. Because when conflict comes, we want to be right. When conflict comes, we want to have something to say. When conflict comes, we want to be the people who have the answer. We want to be the ones that walk out with our shoulders all bulked up, feeling like we're the ones who had the solution. But that's not the reality. The reality is sometimes it looks a little bit different. The reality is sometimes we just need to agree with our brothers and sisters. And so here's what often happens. In the midst of conflict, things start to get a little fuzzy, right? There's a few things that I want to touch on that Paul kind of allows us to check ourselves. And, and we know as believers that when we are trying to do something new, the first thing that we ought to do is pray, right? And so sometimes our prayers are off. In James 4, 3, it says this, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So sometimes in the midst of conflicts, maybe our prayer is, God, would you change them? God, would you fix them? God, would you let me be right? God, like that's maybe we're not saying that, but a lot of times that's how it's coming off. And when our prayer life is off, often our thinking is off. And so sometimes our thinking is often, and the Bible says this, it says it in James 4, 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And it's kind of a crazy thing to say to your people, right? But really what it's saying is that we preach forgiveness, but we're not ready to forgive. You know, we hold on to bitterness. And every time we get to school or we get to work or we get to our team, we all are like, man, we play over these emotions in our head. Maybe you've seen yourself do this. You're driving in your car and you're like, oh, if I see Felicia, this is what I'm going to say to her. And you play this, you play this in your mind. I'm going to tell her, I'm going to let her know. She don't know where I grew up. She don't know how much milk I put in my cereal. I wasn't supposed to make it past 18. You know, you're like playing this over and over and you're like, oh, this is what I'm going to let her know. And then you get to her and you're like, <laughs> yeah, but in your mind, you had a lot of mean things to say to Felicia, right? If there's a Felicia in here, that's always like the awkward thing, you know, like, hey, Felicia, no conflict here. Me and you, we're good, okay? Um, but we start to grumble, right? And we see that person and we play all these scenarios in our head. And so what happens, and sometimes if, if we're being honest, like if our, if our prayer's off, if our thinking's off, then sometimes the way we are living is off. And the Bible says in James 4, 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? And we respond to the way that our emotions play in our lives. 
We align with what others say, what the world would say, what people are doing, what, what, what we've seen others do rather than what God has asked us to do. And so when we approach these kind of mindsets, these, these mentalities, man, we got we to check ourselves in that. And here's how we do it. It's the exact opposite of that. And so the first thing that, that, that Paul speaks into is right praying. And maybe you've heard this verse before and you've heard it a lot in the context of worry. And it does play into that, but right here it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, when we approach situations with adoration, with supplication and thanksgiving, it becomes God's heart rather than our own. And so when we're praying, it's less about like, man, could I, could I be the one with the solution? Man, uh, God, would you fix them? God, would you do this? Like, we're not telling God what to do. We're saying, God, would you take over? God, would you come and intervene? God, would you guide my heart? God, would you guide my mind? Would you take over this situation? And you can see that in Philippians 1, it speaks to adoration. Philippians 2, it talks about sharing our needs and problems. And 3, it's all about thanksgiving. And, and when we pray this way, it ends up giving everything to God. Because when we pray that way, what happens is a guarded heart and mind allows us the peace of God. And when we have peace, we can be assured that God will guide us. How many of you guys have ever been worried in the midst of conflict or something going on or some sort of issue? And often it's because we, we come into it with our own thoughts, our own mindset. And so when our prayer is right, what happens the next thing is our thinking is right. So right thinking is your next one. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, often in conflict, we've talked about getting worried and all these things. And so, again, playing that situation over, this is what I would say, this is what I would do, I'm gonna let her know. And we start to get worried, like, what if she's right? Or what if he's right? And I'm the one who looks wrong. But they have this saying that 8% of worry is a legitimate concern. And 92% of the rest of that is all imaginary. It's all things you made up in your head. It's all outcomes you've thought that could happen. It's all you thinking that. And so wrong thinking, and when our thinking's off, doesn't allow us to align with what God has. And so it goes on to say that we must think of such things, right? Whatever is honest and just. And so is it true to God's word? Is it something that God would do? Is it the way that God would handle it? Because we as believers, we don't allow uh, things that are dishonorable to permit our thoughts or control our lives. And it says, whatever is pure, lovely, and of good report. And I love that because moral purity is the only beautiful thing worthy of talking about. It's the reality of like, man, we are going after him. Our joy is found in his will. Our joy is found in what he has for us. And it says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, because when it's excellent, when you think of the reality of excellence, it motivates us to do better. It motivates us to say, man, God had his hand on this. And I want to give him the praise. I want to give him, him everything that I have. And I sum it up with saying that man ultimately gives God glory. And so when we are right thinking, what happens is right thinking is the result of meditation on God's word. It's not the way that we've cultivated anything. It's not the way that we came up with something, because often if, if we're being honest, what we have to say is probably not the best solution. 
And meditation on God's word and thinking about what God has for us leads us to right living. And right living is not necessarily saying, hey, like we're avoiding sin. That's not how you avoid. It's not how you live. We avoid conflict. It's not, that's not a reality. But, but right living is kind of how I sum it up is sin is knowing what's right and not doing it. Not necessarily you've done a list of bad things. Not necessarily uh, you said this or you said that, but necessarily like you know what God's called you to do. That you know that God has called you to forgive that person. That you know God has called you to unity. That you know God has said this is how we ought to live. And so life of purity, when we live a life of purity, which is not sin, we're able to have peace. In James 3.17 it says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. So what we're getting from God is pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. And I love that because we get our truth from him, from the Bible, from listening to him, to prayer. And, and when we live a life based on truth, we live a life based in God's will. In Colossians 3.15, what it says, it says, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since members as one body you are called to peace and to be thankful. Now, when I think of kind of what this is alluding to, I think that Paul has to remember the life of Jesus. Now, we've been learning a little bit about him and kind of his story and where he sat. In. And you have to think that when he's thinking about these women in conflict, he's reminded of what Jesus did. That every single way that we uh, pursue ministry, every way that we pursue anything in life, he thinks of, man, what would Jesus have done? And when I look into the life of Jesus, that's what I realize is that, man, he, he achieved perfect unity, right? When you think of his whole life, you, you have a kind of framework of what Jesus has done, where Jesus has been, what Jesus responded to. But the ultimate reality is, is that he gave us all a gift, whether we would receive it or not. And now there's a good portion of you in this room who've received that gift. And, and that was a man who would sacrifice on a cross. And you want to talk about conflict? Try being a man who was betrayed by his best friends. Try being a man who, who would give his whole life, who would say, hey, come follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. And then when push came to shove, the man said, hey, I don't know him. Try being that man in the midst of conflict. You want to think of conflict? Try being betrayed with a kiss. Or where you, a guy comes up to you and says, this is the one, take him away. You want, you want to be in conflict? Try being betrayed by your entire community, con, con, committed to, to prison to, to, or to hanging on a cross, committed to all these things, these people in the Bible who, are, who were betrayed by their community while Jesus was betrayed by his community and hung on a cross. You want to talk about conflict? I'll be honest, I don't think anything that we could ever think of is like that. Now, what I have to believe is what I have to believe is that Jesus had a right prayer life. That Jesus had right thinking and right living because when you look at him right before he goes to the cross, he's in the middle of a garden and he says, Father, if it's your will, let it be done. He prays to God. He's like, man, I don't know. I don't really want to do this, but, but if it's your will, I want to do whatever you call me to do. That his prayer wasn't God, um, I, I, I'm good, I'm chilling, uh, things have been good, uh, our ministry's thriving, um, we're, we're, we're looking good, our business is going great, like all these things. No, he was like, God, let your will be done. In the midst of that, his thinking was, hey, man, 
If I do this, it's for you. If I do this, it's for Jonathan. If I do this, it's, it's, for, it's for every single person who would ever attend a church service. It's for every person who wouldn't attend a church service. It's for my family. It's for my friends. It's for my uncles, for my sisters. It's for every single person that you would ever encounter in life that his thinking, his mindset wasn't him. It wasn't about him being right. He didn't sit up there and say, look, I told you so. He didn't sit up there saying, well, you got it wrong. But his prayer was, man, if it's your will, let it be done. And his mindset was you. His thinking was you. His thinking was me. His thinking was us. His thinking was San Jose. His thinking was every single high school. His thinking was every single nation. His thinking was every single person who had ever understood that who they are in him. His thinking was that. And he lived his life blameless and pure. You want to talk about conflict? How about living a perfect life? being hung on a cross for us, for you, for me. But in one final statement, as he's hanging on a cross, he looks at, a, he looks at the people, his community, his friends, everyone who would see him. And he's hanging on a cross, and what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He didn't say, I told you so. He didn't say, man, if they only knew. He didn't say any of those things. But what he said, man, Father, forgive them. In the very expression of conflict, he says, forgive them. And why? Well, I have to believe that his ultimate goal in the midst of this conflict is that you and I and every single person in the world would be united in heaven. That it wasn't a mindset of, oh, this is for only those people. But his ultimate goal in the midst of conflict was unity for God's people. Unity for anyone who needed him. Unity for anyone who would cry out his name. See, his goal in the midst of conflict was unity. So if we're in the middle of conflict, maybe it's right now. If, we're, if the conflict is on its way, if confrontation is on its way, my encouragement to you, church, is that we would remember that. That it's not about what exactly that they've done, but it's exactly who God sees them to, and it's the value that it brings to your organization. It's the value that it brings to your church. It's people who you know, people who you're willing to do life with, people who are better together. I had a mindset once, and, and this is just the fun reality for me, is I would travel to and from uh, Huntington Beach to come to home for dinner. And I remember, I might have shared this before, but I always seen families do ministry together. And I always thought, man, like, it'd be so awesome. Like, it'd be cool to like do ministry with my whole family. And the reality is, is like God has gifted my brother in something different. The reality is my sister was designed by God, that my mom has a purpose for Jesus, that my dad is meant to lead our family, that regardless if we have the same character, regardless if we have the same virtue, regardless if we have the same goal, that he put us together. And I would fly back and be like, God, give me a family to do life with, to do ministry with. And he's like, Michael, you have a family here and you have a family in Huntington that you've neglected. And so for, for almost four years in Huntington, I prayed that God would give me a family. And in the midst of me, there were people who were amazing, people who God gave me to do life with. And here's what I did. I neglected who they were. I neglected their value. I neglected who God created them to be. And so from that point on, I started thinking, man, God, I need to get to know these people. Because truth is, uh, when you look across this room, we see every single person is here, is that we've all been gifted something different. I always go to Jonathan because we do life together here the most. And Jonathan is a man who serves. 
I asked him one time, hey man, if, if you would say there's a character closest to Jesus that you carry, what would you say that is? Because selfishly, I just want to learn. And what Jonathan said was, he's like, Jesus was a servant and I'm here at this church to serve. And so now he may not realize it, but now I ask him questions intentionally on what service looks like. Why do you serve? What brings joy to your heart when you serve? Why do you do that? Because he carries that piece of Jesus that I'll never understand unless I get close to it. And so I think of the reality of who's here in this room. And this is not to say that you've neglected people in this room. This is not to say, hey, you guys better get out there when it's time to clean and we better work together and you better ask them some solid questions. No, but this is a time to say, man, what would we miss out on? And if the ultimate goal is unity, we have a chance to respond before conflict breaks out. Seeing the people, seeing the need, seeing the value. And the reality is, is this, and we get to that place, we get to that mindset, because the goal is unity. And so this is the three things that we have is right praying, because a guarded heart and mind is the peace of God. So when we come to God, we understand his will and we understand his will. Well, how do we accomplish his will? Well, we think about it and we meditate on his word. And so we think of that and we know that it's from God because he's pure and lovely. That's, that's what he talks us, tells us to think about. And it's a good report, good virtue, good praises. And when we're right praying and right thinking, man, we are the church that's right living. And we get right living based on truth. Because when we have peace, when we have unity, we rest in the will of God. Now I'm going to pray and I'm, I'm just going to ask God that he would give us an upgrade in each of these things. And I feel like perhaps maybe some of us are in the middle of conflict. And what I feel like is that what God did is he forgave people. And I'm not saying I have the solution to your current issue or problem. But what I'm saying is that if you come in with these things, I feel like God's going to speak to you. I feel like God's going to allow you to come out and come through in, in greater growth, greater unity, a greater love. And so I'm going to pray for us as a church and and I'm going to pray for any of us who are in the midst of conflict. So if you guys want, you can just go ahead and um, bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray. And I, if that's you, if you're someone who's like, hey, man, I'm in the middle of conflict. I want you to really think about these kinds of things and what God's called you to in this season. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much for your mercy. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for, for, for who you are into our lives. God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for joy. We thank you for unity. God, I pray for every single member in this room, for every single person who walks through these doors, for every single one of us, Lord. Now, we know that conflict may come or, or maybe we're in the middle of it, but God, we want to be people who, who are living right by your word. So, Lord, we just ask that we would be men and women who are right praying that we would be people who, who are going after your word, your desire. And the results of right prayer would be right thinking, that we would say, man, this is how God would handle it. That we would look to your word and we respond according to your action throughout the entire Bible. Re respond according to your action through the gospel, through your death, through your resurrection, Lord. That you didn't come to point fingers, you didn't come to be right, but you came that we would be united. That we would be men and women who, who are united in heaven. And God, the results of that would be right living. That we would be men and women who, who seek purity, who seek rest in your will. And God, I, I thank you for every single person here. God, I pray for anyone who would uh, be in the midst of conflict, who would be men and women who right now who are dealing with something that may be too hard. 
where they don't know the solution, where they don't know what they ought to do, but God, I pray that you would come and intervene, that their mindset, that their heart, that their prayer life would be pure before you, that they would come uh, ridding all uh, independency and being more dependent on you, that they would be men and women who ultimately seek to honor and glorify you. And so God, we pray for unity within our spiritual life, We pray for unity within the church in action. We pray for unity within our families. We pray for unity within our friend groups, within our work, with with whatever kind of a squad we have. God, we ask for unity. We ask that we would be men and women who pray right, who think right, and live right. God, we love you. We need you. And we certainly can't live without you. In Jesus' name, amen.